A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, you can email Cork today at c103.ie. And you know something, I wouldn't fancy sitting doing my radio show from Montrose today. I would say the atmosphere inside in RTE isn't great. And all of the papers uh, today are talking about the revelations we heard yesterday over Ryan Tuberty's pay. And there's now in a lot of the papers today question marks hanging over the his future within RTE. And this is in the wake of the controversy where he received €345,000 in undeclared payments. That was on top of the payments that they had publicly, RTE had publicly declared he was earning. It's a huge sum of money, three. 345,000. Now, he's not on air uh, today. And as I say, question marks as to what his future is going to be within RTE, even though he's saying nothing to do with me, nothing to see here, kind of move along. The RTE chiefs are now facing calls to come before two Oireachtas committees to address the controversy. uh, surrounding his uh, pay and it has been described as a serious breach of trust with the uh, public. Internally, there's huge uproar, it seems, at RTE, um, particularly since this wide-ranging report by Grant Thornton. That was finalised last Friday, presented to the RT board on Monday of this week and it's understood the decision to take Ryan Tauberty off air today was made by the RTE executive. They will also be the ones who will decide his future within and with the broadcaster. It's understood, of course, as an incoming Director General, uh, Kevin Backhurst, he's replacing D Forbes. He'll be involved in the decision-making. Goodness, he's getting some baptismal fire, uh, isn't he? Uh, and that's um, expected. Uh, he's not, he doesn't officially take, o- take up his role for three weeks, even though I've heard he's already been spotted around uh, RTE. Now, RTE have confirmed an internal review of the reporting of the remuneration of its top 10 most highly paid presenters. But it's understood that at least some of the other top 10 stars, and these are the ones that we hear every year, you know, how much they earn. Some of them were caught totally unawares by the news yesterday. They only learned that their own pay situation was being reviewed and they only learned it through the news reports and what had come out about Ron Tuberty's uh, pay. Now, where does the controversy all stand? 
stem from? It comes from the news that Ryan Tuberty was guaranteed by RTE an additional annual income of €75,000 in 2020. That was on top of his pay and it was intended to come from a commercial partner. The commercial partner did not renew the agreement for a second year and since the agreement was guaranteed by RTE, the payments then instead were paid directly by RTE to Tuberty's agent. The issue was identified first in late March of this year and that seemingly there was a routine audit done of the uh, accounts. Uh, Tuberty coincidentally, and I don't know if it was a coincidence or not, he also announced in March his intention to step down from the Late Late Show, even though the bosses are saying it had absolutely nothing to do with his pay issue and nothing to do with this, what they discovered, this undeclared money. It was nothing to do with that. It was just a coincidence that it all happened in March. Now, last night, Ryan Tuberty issued... Quite a strong statement saying that he can't shed any light on these payments made to him by RTE and his management company, company that's um, uh, NK uh, Management and Old Kelly Management, he said that they were matters for which RTE had sole responsibility and accountability. Um, they, he says there is no issue whatsoever in relation to the payments being properly and lawfully due and there's no suggestion of any wrongdoing on the part of Ryan Tuberty or on his agent. Meanwhile, there's huge anger, it seems, among staff working within RTE because many of the staff at RTE are earning the average industrial wage. And while everyone gives out about the top 10, you know, receiving what people say is kind of silly money for the jobs uh, that they do, the bulk of people working in RTE are nothing like that. So they're obviously very, very upset. People working in RTE, it seems, just can't fathom how this went undetected for so long. In some incidents, payments of over half a million euro was made to Ryan Tuberty and that was for one year's work. And at the same time, RTE management were going with their begging bowl to the government, calling for a reform of the licence fee structure and calling on the government and saying we need extra financial uh, supports. So it brings the whole organisation into disrepute and people within who are working within RTE seemingly are really, really angry. Now, the media minister, uh, Catherine Martin, because it's very much going to fall to her to kind of sort it all out. She said yesterday, extremely concerned at the details she was hearing while reading the RTE uh, statement. She's having a meeting has been arranged uh, between her and the uh, chair who's, who, in fairness to that woman, she's she only got appointed to the chair of the RTE board last November. And that's going to happen on Monday uh, where Catherine Martin hopes they'll set out the issues involved and the steps that the board are going to take uh, to deal with this uh, uh, matter. I mean, the one thing that came to my mind when I heard about this uh, yesterday, how could anyone be paid? And I know he was paid huge sums of money and it seems now it was over half a million euro while we were being led to believe it was 450,000. It was actually over half a million. Is Ryan Tuberty saying that he was earning so much money that he didn't notice this extra cash being paid? I mean, to me, that has got to be a big question mark. And also what definitely RTE have to answer is why did RTE guarantee to underwrite an agreement between Ryan Tuberty and a commercial uh, partner. Uh, I mean, if Ryan Tuberty wants to make an agreement with a commercial 
partner. He's free to do it because he's he's you know he's he's not an employee of RTE. He's a freelancer and he's there on contract. So if he wants to do as as other presenters do work outside of RTE, that but that's that surely is he's free to do it. But surely that's something that he does the agreement himself with the company. It it begs the question, why were RTE involved in that in the first place? And I really hope that we eventually get an answer uh, for that. And, you know, certainly what lots of people are saying this morning is RTE can certainly forget about any kind of increase in funding. Uh, Dee Forbes, who is term of office of the, uh, of the Director General, she of course has stepped down even though I think she's still, she's still currently in the role um, and she's, her term of office I think doesn't end until July but I think she's on annual leave at the moment. But anyway, um, when people look back on D Forbes' term of office as, as Director General, I mean, it was marked by her continuously going with the begging bowl to the government. She was always looking for extra money. She was always looking for something to be done about the licence fee. And I think Fiona Sheehan in the Irish Examiner today calls it as it is when he says... RTE wanted government handouts. RTE wanted licence fee increases. RTE wanted the revenue commissioners to collect the licence fee. fee. Meanwhile, their highest earning star was being paid more than was being publicly declared, including its reports to the Oireachtas. The National Parliament was misled by the National Broadcaster. And that is it in a nutshell. And let us not forget, during COVID times and during the pandemic, RTE, you know, I know people will say other businesses did it as well, but they took extra funding from the taxpayer and that was to prop up the salaries of uh, staff who were who were put on, on furlough. And now it turns out while they were going to the taxpayer looking for this extra money, it turns out at the same time they were paying above and beyond uh, for at least one of their stars during the, the same uh, period. It is all very, very galling indeed. People really not happy with the story out of RTE. And as um, Morris says in the subject line of his email, Ryan Tuberty's excess and secret payments scandal. Hi, Patricia. I'm astonished, says Morris by email, that Mr. Tuberty said he can't explain getting 75 grand extra during the year of the pandemic and not speaking up about it when the lower incorrect figure was published. I'm not impressed by him at all, says Morris. And then there's a slew of people saying... um, Linking it to your license fee with with one person saying, well, now we all know where our license fee money is going, folks. Neve in Cork says, hi, Patricia. In his statement, Ryan Topper, said he's shocked and the payments has nothing to do with him. But his, in inverted commas, pay was reported every year. It was made public. Uh, why did he not correct those stats when they were published? Ryan Topper, he needs to take responsibility. Yeah, I mean, the, the, was he actually earning so much that he didn't realise that he was getting more than was publicly uh, declared? I don't know. I mean, can he, will he use that as an excuse? I don't know. John says, Patricia, what has happened in RTE is fraudulent accounting, plain and simple. It is not credible that Ryan Tuberty, whose, whose salary was cut by 15%, was actually having it increased by this commercial partnership deal. 
people should remember RTE got uh, I, I think what you're saying there John is it, is it 20 million euro of taxpayers money last year to bail them out trust is now gone RTE is severely damaged says uh, John and a lot of people seem to be saying that uh, Anne says good morning Patricia who will pay their TV licence fee now and John says Patricia from today I'm telling you I will never pay a TV licence again um, and I think I will have an immediate following. Shame on RTE. It appears to me it's rotten to the core. Isn't it a typically Irish way of doing business? Now, where did we hear this carry on before? Oh, yes, it is simply called business, says John. And Mike says, Tubbs reminds me of Boris Johnson. Get out before the poo uh, hits the fan. And some of your calls in, John and Cove says, is this now the real reason why Ryan Tubbery decided to bail out of the Late Late Show? Uh, he letting on that he didn't know that he'd received the money. He must have known. John is another one who says, I'm not going to pay my TV licence anymore. To be honest, he said, I don't watch RTE. I watch anything I do watch is normally the UK channels. And he said, most evenings I'm in the kitchen listening to C1. Thank you for that, John. Julian Bandon. I am always such a law-abiding citizen, but I'm not going to pay my TV licence. I am really considering not paying it after this story. How can they cut programmes when they're doing deals like that? And Donia Newmarket says the top 10 were receiving their cutbacks at the time. Remember Ryan Tuberty was pleading his case saying he couldn't afford to take a cut in his wages. Donia Newmarket reckons that there needs to be a full tax audit carried out on RTE. He's actually going to write to Revenue this morning to get them to carry out a full investigation. And Kira in Mallow or in Bantry says 75k in one year as a top up. That's a good annual wage for most people. And yet for Ryan Tuberty, it was just a top up. And Anne Infomoy says, Patricia, you mentioned the staff at RTE. I think the meeting today that's been held in RTE with the NUJ, they should recommend strike action. So many staff who are on ordinary wages working with our RTE have to hear about this kind of uh, carry on and on and on and on. Uh, the texts and the calls uh, go. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Court today on C103. Now, according to the latest report from the housing charity Threshold, security of tenure remains the largest concern for tenants as nearly half of all renters feel insecure in their accommodation. To discuss the We Are Generation Rent survey, I'm joined by uh, Stephen Large, who's service manager uh, with Threshold. Good morning to you, Stephen. Good morning, Patricia. And and you're welcome to the programme. Are you seeing an increase in the number of people who say they're feeling insecure while renting compared to previous surveys? Yeah, and thank you very much for inviting me on to talk today about the launch of the report. It's a very valuable report uh, that we carry out on an annual basis and it gives us a great insight into the issues being experienced by renters and hopefully it's something that you know can feed in the policy change and unfortunately as you say there's an increase in the feelings of insecurity amongst people out there that are renting and do many people aspire to owning their own homes there i, I suppose well what the report looks at it it looks at the renters you know uh, where they are uh, where they 
where they hope to be and where they expect to be. Now, unfortunately, many people that are renting are not renting by choice. The vast majority, approximately 60%, would say that they're renting because they're unable to buy their own home. And uh, most, unfortunately, uh, while they don't expect to be renting in the next five years, the vast majority who don't expect to own their own home, unfortunately, they, they, they feel that they will still be renting. That's Only really 39% would expect uh, to be owning their own home in five years' time. That's really sad, isn't it? People who would always have dreamed one day, you know, they will own their own home, now realising this, this this is what we're facing, and then to be living in rented accommodation and not feeling secure. Are we continuing, Stephen, to see small landlords selling up? I mean, is that still an ongoing problem? Yeah, that unfortunately, that appears to be the case. Like the vast majority of landlords in Ireland are uh, landlords with three or fewer properties. In most cases, they probably have one property, and very often they have that property. They may have maybe inherited a property from a family member, or they may have invested in that property at a particular time. So uh, there's, um, you know, the, the landlords have one property, uh, and. The evidence to date is that a lot of those landlords over the last couple of years have been leaving the market, uh, which obviously is sad that you know we're losing those landlords. Uh, unfortunately, the impact of that is that those properties tend to be sold and therefore are being taken away from the private rented stock, making it more and more difficult for people to access fewer and fewer properties. And that's, uh, I suppose, uh, most acute for uh, people, you know, have a limited income and those that are dependent on supports with the rent, the likes of HAP payments, for example. The tenant in situ scheme, is that working? It's early days. Um, it's something that, uh, I'll just explain the, the tenant in situ scheme. Uh, this is a scheme that, that was rolled out whereby local authorities, where properties were being um, sold by landlords, the local properties could step in and in some cases purchase those properties. And there's a target of approximately 1,500 uh, tenant situ scheme properties uh, for this year. Uh, certainly our indications are that um, local authorities are engaging with landlords in relation to that scheme. We are hearing from some cli- clients that, you know, that local authorities have either purchased the property and allowed them to remain in that property, or they're in that process. So we definitely have to welcome those green shoots, uh, you know, in terms of that initiative. And hopefully that we'll see more of that. Yeah. I mean, particularly for the landlords that are selling up and getting out of the market, uh, it would be fantastic if we could see more of the tenants remaining in place and the local authorities uh, moving in. Did you talk to people in the survey, Stephen, about their rent? I mean, is is a large chunk of a person's income going on rent? Because the other problem we have for those lucky enough to have secured a tenancy, rents are still very high in some areas. Yeah, that that would uh, definitely have been the the feedback that we received from our clients. Uh, almost half of those surveyed, approximately forty five percent, had experienced a rent increase in the previous twelve months. And I suppose what what's worrying uh, in relation to that is that uh, a number of tenants, or over a third of tenants uh, that live in rent pressure zones, had a rent increase that was over and above the permitted two percent cap. Um, and are afraid to call it out for fear they lose the tenancy? Well, they, 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 unfortunately, again, this, this is something that came through very strongly uh, in, in the uh, survey, is that even where rights are in place and there are options for people, uh, tenants are, are very vulnerable and they're afraid 
uh, you know, to raise issues for fear of being given notice to leave the property. And that, that came across quite strongly as well in relation to uh, issues around the standards and repairs uh, of property. Uh, there were six in ten people had reported uh, per standards in their accommodation, and the vast majority of people had reported that to their landlord. Um, but often people didn't take it any further than that uh, because they, they obviously they feared that uh, they'd be given notice and have to leave and the difficulties, of, as you mentioned, in terms of the low supply of alternative accommodation out there meant that they but, didn't but, but it. Would you be worried, Stephen, that that could lead to a more and more renters living in substandard conditions, just simply fearful to complain? Absolutely. Uh, this is an issue uh, for ourselves that, you know, that, that we've been addressing for a number of years. Um, what I suppose what we would like to see is uh, almost like an, an NCT-style approach taken to the private rented sector and that there's uh, greater resources and greater enforcement of the standards of uh, private rented accommodation. And it effectively it's taken out of the hands of a vulnerable individual to have to make a complaint because... People will do whatever they can to keep a roof over mm-hmm. their head, mm-hmm. no matter how bad that roof over their head is. So we'd like to see uh, the structures in place where uh, you know there is proper oversight, there's proper inspection, and where property does fall below standard, that the appropriate measures are taken to ensure that people do have uh, access to secure, uh, affordable, and good quality accommodation. The other aspect, I suppose, in relation to per standard accommodation and, and again it's something that has come through in the research is whilst people are struggling to pay the rents that's only one part of the story uh, and we're all experiencing increased bills uh, you know our electricity our gas our oil bills have gone through the roof over the last number of years but if you're living in substandard accommodation and you have uh, limited income more and more of your um, money is going towards uh, effectively you know hidden substandard property so yeah. you're paying more and more each time That's on, on that property yeah. and then you, you know you, in terms of your overall uh, affordability you're, you're struggling to pay the rent you're struggling to pay the bills and your you know tenancy potentially is at risk yeah, and 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 yet the government came out and and um, offered the the uh, the rent tax relief, and and I know I've covered it here on the program. There isn't the pickup uh, of that, uh, and I saw I think one of the local councillors uh, here in Cork saying that they reckoned only half of people have claimed that uh, tax relief. But again, that goes back to not all landlords. You've got to be registered with the RTB. Well, there is a requirement that landlords register each tenancy with the RTB, and the vast majority of landlords are registered with the RTB, thankfully. Uh, but that's not always the case, and where that doesn't happen, a person can report that to the RTB, and the RTB themselves have an investigation and sanctions remit where, where they can take further action if a landlord isn't registered. But the fact that the landlord isn't registered should not prevent the tenant from applying for the, the rent uh, tax credit, uh, as you mentioned. Uh, and certainly, the, the response from the survey itself was that the vast majority of tenants were aware of the the uh, tax credit. Unfortunately, not as many applied for that for a number of reasons. In some cases, um, you know, they, again, they were fearful that if they did do that, that there'd be retribution and mm. they could be given notice to leave that property. In some cases, there may be uh, local arrangements uh, between the landlord and tenant around the, the rent. Um, but certainly any tenant out there, they're entitled to this. It's a €500 Euro tax credit 
for last year and this year, and they should apply for that. Yeah, and you're entitled to it. Exactly, and the fact that the landlord isn't registered should not uh, prevent you from doing that. Okay, and and the and I suppose when we're looking at the overall housing crisis, uh, Stephen, the answer is uh, more affordable uh, housing, but that's going to just take time. Well, unfortunately, uh, yeah, it's such a vast issue, and we're probably paying for many, many uh, mistakes in the past. But you, you've hit the nail on the head. It's more and more housing, and more and more housing of various different types. Uh, you know, to try like to try and ease the pressures. Like the private rental sector, I suppose, has always been seen as a stepping stone for people. Uh, and as the survey shows, not many people, you know, want to spend all their time in private rental accommodation. Unfortunately. The age profile of our uh, clients, more and more people are staying in the private sector, which causes issues then uh, in terms of, you know, as they get older, they may not, for example, be able to access a mortgage for a property and go into home ownership to get that secured tenure. So what we'd like to see is um, greater supply of private rented sector accommodation uh, measures introduced to attract new landlords into the sector and for those new landlords to provide long-term secure accommodation uh, to tenants. We'd like to see a significant increase also in the social housing provision, uh, at least 25% of uh, all properties being built uh, to go towards social and affordable housing and rolling out uh, of the schemes that you've mentioned, the tenant institute, for example, also making uh, rent more affordable and uh, increasing schemes like the cost rental scheme just to try uh, and alleviate some of the pressures being felt on tenants. But it is a very, very difficult place for renters and it is going to take time. So, um, you know, we'd look for as many supports in place uh, during that time until we get to a point where we are providing enough adequate accommodation for all household types. Yeah, there's no quick fix for sure. Stephen, listen, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you, Stephen Large there, who is a service manager uh, with the housing charity Threshold. Cork today on C103. Councillors representing the North Cork region are concerned that developers are being refused planning permission in the middle of a housing crisis because Ishka Aaron is not upgrading wastewater treatment plants, which are already at capacity. Uh, Fianna Gael Councillor Kay Dawson uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Kay. Good morning, Patricia. Okay, so I, I mean, it's as simple as this. You have developers ready to build, but they simply can't because they can't get the planning and they can't get the planning because of the wastewater treatment plants. They get planning, but the planning is subject to being able to connect to the wastewater treatment plant. So they sit in a limbo then because while the planning is correct, um, if you can't connect to water and storage, not, you can't build. It isn't, it isn't worth the paper it's, it's written on. How yeah. frustrating is this for you and indeed for all of the other councillors? You, you have no idea of it. <laughs> like it, it because when you can't build houses, the knock-on for that, for to get industry into an area, to get to keep the schools going, like it, 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 you're stagnating a village or a town when, when, when you can't um, build your houses. And are you in particular talking about the Mitchellstown plant, which um, urgently <laughs> needs an upgrade? The, the, this one, I, I'm what, eight years, nine years fighting this one. And the piece that really puts me in a temper about it was we were constantly be told by Irish Water that the money was there and it would be solved. Now, in fairness to them, <laughs> after 
much demanding of it. We look for them to come into council and to really sit down with us and listen to us. That took, that only happened there a few months ago. And then the replies we're getting now, we're actually telling the truth. It's not, it doesn't mean we have a solution, but we're actually getting truthful answers rather than this clobbed off notion of we're working on it, it will be done, the money is there, you know. Um, you see, I will accept um, decisions that are made as long as I'm giving facts back out to people. But false information makes us look like Egypt, you know. Um, and if they say the money is there, if the money is there, because usually that's the answer, we'd love to do it, but we don't have the finances. Yeah. So if the money is in the pot, why is the work not being carried out? That, that one they haven't answered. <laughs> they haven't given me a truthful answer on that one. So they've done a piece on me. We're not as badly off as we were 12 months ago in that there was a fourth cog to go in, no, no engineer or no specialist in the field, but that this would increase capacity in the plant that exists at the moment. But tell me particularly why that had to take seven years to be done. Do you know? Mm. They, they had that solution. That would give us capacity for, we'll say, a housing estate to be built now. And so we're in that space now. But there's a bigger solution needed because you, you need a plant that will allow you not to just service what exists, but you can um, service a growing population. And that one is still ongoing. Like their um, answer to us in, in, in the last email I got in relation to the next phase of investment in Mitchelton has started work identifying a long list of constraints and options. You know what I mean? We knew that 10 years ago. Yeah, this this hasn't happened uh, overnight. And for the North Cork area, um, I was uh, reading in the, the examiner, uh, Shona Reardon was reporting on, it's not just Mitchelltown, it's uh, Glamworth, it's Kilbehany, yes. it's Connor, yeah. it's uh, Glenville. All of these areas are stagnating. And as I said in my introduction, we are in the middle of a housing crisis. We need every opportunity that we can get to grasp and build houses. But you, but you'll have, well, you, you have a crisis, a housing crisis, you also have a crisis in these towns because if our 30-somethings aren't buying houses, having children, um, you'll just become an ageing area. Yeah. You, know, you know the way they talk about a death nail in a rural area? To me, this is the quickest death nail you will put on any place. Yeah, and I think you're right to point out that it isn't just about putting a roof over somebody's head. It's the knock-on effect. If you don't bring new families into an area the schools suffer because there's no children to go to the schools industry won't come because yeah. if, if their staff can't live in the area why would they develop that area do you know what I mean and you need a mixture of houses you need social you need affordable and you need private housing you, you need all because that's what our societies are made up of Mm-mm. Well, that's how a society operates. That's how yeah. a, a proper society. Yeah. By the way, what's communication like between you as councillors and Irish Water? It was appalling. Yeah. It, they, they would have said to us, oh, you have the direct line. We have a separate number from the public because you can ring in something, right? Yeah. But you could and you could. Like I said, the rent that I've given to the poor people that worked in there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but um, this has been an improvement. Okay. And definitely I have found since that meeting the emails I'm getting are more explanatory. Do you know, while they might be getting the answer I want, at least I'm getting, in my opinion, a more truthful answer. 
Okay, yeah, it's just, I think I think you're right on that while, it, uh, while you, it's very frustrating waiting for the work to begin. But at least if you know you're going in the right direction. But yeah. it's, the, it's the unknown part are saying one thing and then so many months later saying something completely different. I think that just really makes people's blood boil. Or stringing you along thinking yeah. something's going to happen yeah. and, and, and there isn't a time frame. And then you're going back out to the good people in North Cork and it, it is making you look like you're almost telling porkies. Yeah, yeah. and you're complicit in this nonsense, do you know? Okay, you've got um, a new mayor to be elected very, for the county. We're going to have a new mayor in North Cork. In North Cork, county. yeah, in, yes. in the form and of, and of Frank O'Flynn. I really wish Frankie all the best. And, and going into the meeting now and excited about it. Wonderful news. Okay, and of course we've uh, that means that we are saying goodbye to Danny Collins, who's been a great uh, oh, mayor, excellent mayor, excellent mayor for the last uh, year. So best wishes to Franco Flynn, who will be officially taking over later today. All right, listen, Kay, thank you for that, and thanks for joining us on the program. Thank you. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, North Cork uh, Councillor Kay Dawson. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. I can still see a lot of calls and commentary coming in about Ryan Tuberty and RTE and where do we go from here Barry says Patricia it's the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer it has not changed over the years Uh, but Barry says this certainly is going to turn people off paying the TV licence fee he also is questioning Ryan Tuberty's statement saying he didn't know what was happening he must have known what was going on but then Annette in Charleville is a bit worried when she's hearing about people uh, saying that this is the death nail for RTE and how um, how are RTE going to recover from this? She would hate to see anything that would jeopardise RTE and would jeopardise RTE into the future that, you know, some people are saying it won't survive this. She said, you know, let's be careful and not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's think of all of the other shows that RTE uh, make. Um, she said, if we, if RTE were to fold in the morning and a new company was to come in, guess what would happen? It's happening across all different types of media in this country. You'd be run by a company in England or a country, a company in Paris or a company in Berlin or uh, New York. They'll only be interested in driving on uh, profit. Let's not forget that RTE do wonderful shows where they highlight Irish music and they highlight Irish culture. They do the signing and news for the deaf. They do programmes Os Gwelga. People must remember these services are important uh, to people, uh, but they could go missing if we lost our national broadcaster. Councillor Declan Harley was listening to my chat with Councillor Kay Dawson and he says they've got the very same problem going on in West Cork, in particular in and around Dunmanway. They have a developer ready to go, wants to build 20 houses for the Dunmanway area. However, the water and sewage network is reported as being at capacity. Even though Declan is aware it would cope with these additional 20 houses. He said we need the planners, those in the environmental division and those that grant planning within court County Council to sit down and discuss these issues so that homes can be built. And we need Irish water to do, as Kay said, just get going on these uh, wastewater treatment plants that desperately need uh, to be upgraded. 0818, Declan, thank you for your call to 0818 103 103. Let's take a break and we've news at 11 on the way. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. 
Farm Talk with John O'Connor. Now at the new Saturday time of 7am and Wednesdays at 10pm. Growers to keep an eye on the future markets. There may be occasions come where it makes sense to future sell some of their harvest. That's a decision for every farmer individual. There are tough decisions to make. Once you make them, you drive on. You don't look back. Farm Talk with Dairy Gold Prime Elite Calf Milk Replacer on C103. We all know a great night's sleep is vital for our well-being. We spend one third of our lives in bed, so a good mattress is crucial. Swan Beds recommends for a better night's sleep, replacing your mattress every eight years. A better sleep means a better you. Replace every eight at Swan Beds, Cork's only exclusive bed store, because your sleep is important to us. Shh, it's a Swan Bed. Mum, hi, I'm at the Garda station, but it's nothing. I told this girl I was seeing for a while that I'd put shots of her up online. Shots she sent me, so they're mine, really. I only said I'd do it, but... The guards are saying that's a crime now. It's not my fault, Mum. I didn't do anything. I, I only said I would. Threatening to share intimate images is a crime with serious consequences. Contact your local guard the station if you need to report it. Brought to you by the Government of Ireland. Are your feet holding you back? At Foot Solutions, our foot wellness experts can give your feet the freedom they deserve with precision-tailored orthotics and high-quality footwear. Take the first step toward a happier, healthier life by booking a free appointment today at footsolutions.ie and free your feet. Spring into Mike responding to my piece when we were discussing about Irish water, Ishka Aaron, as they're known now. Um, Mike, by WhatsApp, not happy with Irish water. He says their communication with the public is a, dro- a joke. Mike feels that control of water and wastewater treatment should be taken back and given back to the local authorities because that's where it once was until Irish water, now Ishka Aaron, came into being. I have a funny feeling, Mike, if I ran a straw poll on that, a lot of people would agree with you. And then back to Ryan Tuberty and what's going on in RTE and on this Friday. It's good to see all the comedians are out this morning. John says, Patricia, if RTE folded, we'd all be at a loss. No more Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, every Christmas. What a pity, says John. And Dave says, Patricia, thinking about this overpayment to Ryan Tuberty and he being a former presenter of The Late Late Show, does that mean that there's one for everybody in the audience? Uh, we can only all wish and dream, Dave. Uh, Michael says, uh, bearing in mind that Ryan Tuberty and this extra pay was linked to him doing private deals with, you know, commercial deals for public appearances or whatever. Uh, Michael says, Patricia, all of the top brass in RTE are in the same boat as Ryan Tuberty when it comes to personal appearances. I remember, says Michael, many, many years ago, Derek Davis. Remember Derek Davis live at three? Got to be good to him. He charged £750 to cut a ribbon uh, through his agent and that was moons ago. The only way you could get to any of the top brass was through their agents and I'm assuming it's still the same today. Uh, Michael says the dogs in the street even knew that they they got paid huge sums of money for public appearances. Well, you, you know, that is one of the points that I did make earlier. I don't have an issue with Ryan Tuberty wanting to make an agreement with a commercial uh, partner. He's very much free to do that and he's, you know, he's an independent contractor with RTE but the question I want answered is why did RTE get involved to underwrite that uh, agreement with the commercial partner and that hasn't been answered yet whether it will only time will tell and let me stay on 
on the issue of Ryan Tuberty. Willie is in Glenmire and he's uh, contacted us. Morning to you, Willie. Good morning, Patricia. I was out this morning and I missed the, the first part of the programme. Well, it was only me talking about what everybody is talking about this <laughs> oh, morning. Oh, and that, OK, when it broke yesterday, what was, well, your, I, what was your initial reaction? Well, uh, I, I kind of uh, was disgusted. But then I bought the examiner this morning and when you see it in print, 345 thousand, you know. Yeah. My blood boiled. I said, that's my money, that's your money, or taxpayers' money. What money is it? Only ours. Our licensed money and public <laughs> or our universal source of charge because the government kind of subsidizes our tea as well. Yeah. I mean, what is the country coming to at all? They're talking about our not so long ago to be heard say the performance bonuses that they're getting ran into millions. Performance. I mean, when you see the performance, I say, what in the hell is going on? Yeah, and I and I had a councillor on this morning who said it makes her blood boil when she well, even hears about Ishka Aaron because yeah, of the, it makes the delays. My blood boil too. And there you had Cumrag, as I sent to John Paul, that was an African examiner the week before last. Cumrag, the bonuses that they have got them into millions. And there's our firemen, and they have to go to strike to get a few bob. I mean, what is happening at all? Who's in charge of the country? Who who sanctions these bonuses? And and, and let's let me stop on and, and let me just reflect on Comreg. Comreg yeah. are the state owned communications yeah. regulators. So they're yeah. you know, very much regulate what RT do. Money, they yeah. shared uh, well spotted by you on this one because yeah. I hadn't spotted it. It came yeah. out at the end of May. They yeah. shared bon this is bonus payments, and this bonus, is on yeah. top of their pay. And bonus payments well paid, of one point one point six one point zero six seven million. That they, they they were their bonuses for last year for 2022. Yeah, yeah. Now they've increased in staff as well. That I read somewhere they've gone from 142 to 144. And then you you want to know what staff are earning? Oh my God, staff are earning a lot of money. I know that there was two staff listed as earning over 230. Two hundred and thirty thousand euro a year. My God! So and that's they what they earn, and then they get the and then they get the bonus. Yeah. And the poor fellow that's digging the hole out in, in the ground, this was for Irish water. What bonus does he get? Yeah. Now the fellows at the top are getting the bonus, and it's the same in the HSE. The, the, you, the, the poor childcare worker or the home care worker or whatever that's a travel around in their car. What travel expenses do they get? But well, even and even within, because, you know, while the focus is on RTE, even within RTE, there are a lot of people working and like a, a much more working in RTE who work on or below uh, the the living wage or oh, yeah, yeah. the average industrial wage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the top 10 earners, it's 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 immoral. And that figure for Ryan Tuberty that we're all talking about, 345,000. Remember, that was on top of what was declared. Yeah. So so you're yeah. looking back to 20, this is from 2017 up to last year. And every single year from 2017 yeah. to 2022, he earned over a half a million euro. Yeah. And he, he, he tells us that he didn't know about it. Remind me about the year, he didn't know what he had under the mattress. 
and it, it is the Late Late Show. Remember Patrick Flint saying how oh, difficult yeah. it was to run three houses and everybody took the PIWS out of that oh, man. Yeah. And here we have somebody. Um, it, but maybe if you're earning that much money, maybe you don't know how much is going. Would you not know how much is going to be? My God, I, I don't know. But then when you see about other people, and they say people have to go out and strike at her. Yeah. You know, and, I, and I the think the fire, yeah, the firefighters. Yeah, who, who those put their, put, put their lives on, on the line for us. You know, and, and, and uh, God, it's, is there something? I don't know. Have the government in charge? Who's, who, where's the Minister for Finance? Does he sanction these bonuses? I, I, I think oh, it's time for a riot. And <laughs> like, I often, when I sit and ponder on, on life, I can't understand how anyone is worth over half a million euro a year. No, for, no. I mean, OK, maybe somebody who's doing brain surgery and is saving somebody's life, maybe you could justify and yeah. say that they're saving lives or, yeah. you know, top scientists who are inventing something that's going to save humanity. But yeah. somebody who sits and basically does what I do every day with a lot more help than poor old John Paul sitting outside. I just, <laughs> I find it, I just find it hard to, to justify how oh, yeah, it's, it's crazy, it's, crazy money. It's, Crazy it's, it's, it's shocking, and I mean the politicians, of course, they're 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 all on, on, on all expenses paid jobs, so they don't, they're not in the real world. Either. Yeah, but they don't even earn close to what. Yeah, but they don't. But I tell you, that what they get in expenses is, is probably more. I I have a list actually going back, and and I I have it actually. I got an article that was appeared in some independent many years ago, and they were earning more in expenses than their salary. And you, John, I don't know who remember going over to England and tipping the the, the, the drivers and then coming back and claiming it on expenses. I know, I know. That's we, ah, we, so they're all at it. We'd all love to tip, we all love to tip, but we don't claim it we, back we, in expenses. We, we had our own councillors here some time ago that were claiming to be in two places and, and the one day at, at meetings. Yeah. And so, one of them was in a wheelchair and he, t- he was supposed to be up in Sligo and somewhere else and claiming double. <laughs> and he never appeared at either of them. It seems to be, yeah. The same, I, does it all go back to greed, though? I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know how much is enough. You know when, know. when is enough enough? All I right. The, I remember the day that John F. Kennedy said, "That's not what your country can do for you, and you well, can do for your, your country." country. Yeah. And the big applause he got. I mean, that's gone down the drain. <laughs> All right. Listen. Look after yourself. Have good a nice weekend, Willie. Always good, good to talk to you. Thank you for that. It's Willie in Glenmire. Mary was on, who agreed with Annette, one of our um, earlier uh, contributions, one of our listeners who was talking about, you know, be careful about throwing out the baby with the bath water, and you know, we need to protect our teeth because it is our national uh, broadcaster. But Mary goes a step further. She says, I think people need to come off their high horse a little bit here. Whoever deals with Ryan Tuberty, would have his agent, would have negotiated that uh, with RTE. If RTE paid him the agree- agreed amount, so be it. Who else is going to take on what Ryan Tuberty did over the last number of years? Uh, there's a lot of begrudgery, says Mary, in this country and people need to be kind. The last thing we want in this country is for RTE, our state broadcaster, to go. Something new would come up and would be set up from abroad and we'd get a watered down version of the public service we have at the moment. It'd be like the vulture funds and the way they took over the banks. We don't want that so we've got to be careful that we protect what we have. And I think, yeah, I think Mary, a lot of people will agree with you. We need to protect RTE as our national broadcaster 
But we need to make sure that it's run properly and that it's run correctly and everything, you know, that they're meant to declare, that they they, they, they do uh, declare. And if they felt that for whatever reason, Ryan Tuberty was worth over a half a million euro every year to present the Late Late Show for half the year and his radio show for, I don't know how many weeks of the year he does his radio show for. If people feel that that's enough, that's fine. But don't pay that money out and then at the same time go cap in hand to the government and have the begging bowl out and saying, oh, we need the good people of Ireland to pay more on a licence fee. And remember during COVID times, while they were paying this extra money to uh, Ryan Tuberty and not declaring it both to the public and to the Oireachtas at the same time, they were going cap in hand to the government, as a lot of businesses uh, did during COVID times, and saying that they needed to pay st- their staff that they that they furloughed. And while that was going on, they were giving this extra money to uh, Ryan Tuberty. So yeah, I would, I'm all for protecting the national broadcaster, but we need to make sure that it has been run and run correctly. 0818, and not wasting any money, please. 0818-103-103. John Paul taking your calls. C103 Jobs. Now, a minibus driver is wanted to cover July summer education programme in Charleville. Your contact is John at 087-215-4385. Right at Home Cork, they're currently recruiting carers to provide home care to elderly clients in the Cork City southern suburbs. Number to call is 21 an experienced painter is wanted to work for Everfresh Solutions. They're based in Butterfant. You must have your own transport. The number to call is 087-6236197. And a part-time kitchen porter is wanted to work in Longerville House in Mallow. CVs, please to info at longervillehouse.ie. You'll find all of the details and many more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. cmig.ie. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Cork today on C103. Now, with the Leaving Cert exams coming to an end, a word of warning has gone out to the class of 2023 and their parents around alcohol use ahead of exam celebrations. Joining me from Drink Aware, which is the national charity working to prevent and reduce alcohol abuse, is uh, Martha Sweeney, and Martha is their education manager. Good morning, she Martha. Good morning, Patricia. And you're very welcome to the programme. Now, end of exams is always a time to celebrate. So, outline what you're asking parents to say well, to well, their children. Well, first of all, children. I'd like to congratulate parents and young people for reaching this milestone, especially for leaving cert. And it is a significant milestone. And um, I, they need to acknowledge that achievement and what I would like to do is give uh, tips to parents on talking to their teen about alcohol at the end of the exams. Now, it, it is a joyful time, a time of celebration, but not all young people may may experience that. There may be heightened emotions of sadness, uncertainty, anxiety, and parents need to look out for that as well. And to support their young person with the many emotions that they may feel. And I want to emphasise this morning, there's no perfect parent or perfect child, but parents have a significant role to play in either enabling young people to drink or protecting them around alcohol. 
they, they, um, there is an increase in young people not drinking. It went up from, I think it was something like 9% in, in 2009 to 26, 2002 to 26% in 2019. So first of all, acknowledging that not all young people will be drinking and certainly a drink where we believe alcohol should have no place in childhood. And that is up to 18 years of age. But 18 years of age isn't, you know, a target to reach either and then start drinking because the reality is young people's bodies are different to adults and alcohol affects them differently to adults and their brains are still developing up to their mid-twenties. So for parents, there are three things. There is about modelling what they want from their young people because young people will watch and observe and pick up more at times than they may listen. They will to monitor what's going on and to have the conversation with them and to mind them. Even though they may be 18 years of age, 19 years of age, young people still look to parents for support, for help and to mind them. So in terms of what parents can do, I think the first thing is they need to begin the conversation about the celebration and to emphasize that you understand that they want to celebrate and you're not a killjoy. But young people aren't invincible either. Neither do parents want to get a call to say something has happened. So you want them to have boundaries around going out, to be able to plan if they're going out to celebrate, to plan it, the same as if they were going on a journey, and that there are boundaries around it, that they're very clear on how much they will drink, if they are going to drink, how many drinks they'll have. And, you know, you can advise them to alternate their drinks, to be conscious of not providing drinks in the home before they leave pre-drinks, to be conscious as well and talk to them about drinking games and um, shots and all of this that can lead to in- intoxication. Well, we have and a very sad story here out of, um, I think it was out of North Cork, of a young uh, 19-year-old man. It's, it's out from the, it's the, the coroner has, ca- has come out talking about it. Uh, it was a, He got involved in a, in a drinking uh, game. He had just secured a university course, so I'm assuming he had just done his leaving cert and, you know, mm. that's summer and uh, went on, an, uh, on a night out that involved having a few pints first and then cocktails and then they got into these vodka shots and one of these really stupid uh, drinking games um, and he died after his blood alcohol level reached such a point that it depressed his brain and central nervous system and he went into uh, cardiac um, and failure. I'm not aware of that yeah, and I, and I just I, I know it. but I just think the story is shocking because he was Absolutely. with he was with all of his friends obviously devastated for the family, but also devastating for his friends who were with him on this night out. Absolutely. And, you know, it's just, as I say, we don't want to be killjoys, but there are repercussions around intoxication. It may not even be for the individual themselves. It could be for a stranger. It could be for a family member. It could be for a bystander. There are people whose lives have been totally changed because of a one-off incident. Like years ago, the emphasis was on alcohol dependency. And in Ireland, we have to take note, and this is why this conversation that parents have with their young people is really important. We have to take note that uh, in 2002, the Health Research Board published the following figure. One in three, or 38% of young people in Ireland between the ages of 15 and 24 have an alcohol use disorder. 
Now, that was called alcoholism before this, but the correct term for it is alcohol. Now, one in three, 38% of young people. So that is fairly frightening. So while there are more young people not drinking, the reality is that those who drink are many of them are binge drinking and, it's and binge, binge drinking, drinking is and, yeah. and it's about you know a lot of the time too we talk about behavior but there's long-term and short-term effects of our drinking and it just doesn't uh, affect the individual themselves it can affect other people the other thing um Parents look out for signs of stress or disappointment that young people may be experiencing because that may be a trigger for using alcohol to cope. It is found that young people do use alcohol to cope, to have a sense of belonging, all of that. So the better the relationship there is between the parent and the child, where the child feels that they're loved and spoken to with respect, they're listened to, there's active listening, and in a non-judgmental way. So talk honestly and openly to them about celebrating the event. And listen to what they have to say and respect their views. Are, are, are young people, do you think, aware um, of their drinking and the impact it can have on their mental health? Because a lot of young... Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. People are very conscious of mental health, I think more so than any other generations. But there is a link, isn't there, between drinking and someone's mental health? Yeah, and you see... While they're aware of mental health, people who are experiencing anxiety and difficulty, the other side of the coin is there are people who may not drink and would be conscious of that because of their mental health. And it's one of the things that the barometer, the Drink Aware Barometer 2022 has found, that young people, many young people are very conscious of their mental health and therefore would be conscious around consuming alcohol. But the other side of it is that sometimes people who are anxious are, um, you know, depressed or down, Can you, like adults, can use alcohol to cope and it increases and escalates the emotions that are going on for them. So uh, in coming back again to parents, check in with your young person where they're going to celebrate and any risk to their well-being that might arise. Discuss those risks around alcohol consumption, including short and long-term uh, effects like accidents, injuries, aggression, risky sexual behaviour, like things can happen when people have drink on them that they carry with them for the rest of their lives and can affect their happiness and well-being. Um, long-term risks as well around poor mental health, memory problems, physical health, 
um, and that it's not all about joy and, you know, having great crack, etc. And also, you know, young people saying they cannot remember what happened yeah. the night before. Like, ask young people how, if they are drinking, how does alcohol affect them? How do they behave with alcohol? And if they say they cannot remember, well, that's a, a sign that's of a, a an alarm bell sh- yeah, sh- yeah. should go off. So, yeah. And um, um, if a person is under the influence of alcohol, it can complicate as well um, asking for and giving consent. And it can affect a person's ability to make healthy choices. Mm. Now, the other thing, of course, is drinking and driving. Um, it's a factor, drink is a factor in two-fifths of all deaths on Irish roads. And 33% of all drink drivers involved in fatal accidents are aged between 17 and 24. And again, pedestrians as well have been killed on Irish roads. Um, one in two of them had drink consumed. So <clears throat> to emphasise that any amount of drink impairs driving and increases the risk of uh, collision. And of course, we can have drunken talking. I remember one time working with um, uh, teachers and uh, that's my background and a teacher is saying that they break confidences when they have uh, a certain amount of drink taken. So just yeah, young people You might tell somebody something that, yeah, you, that, that in your ser- sober self would never want that person uh, to know. And I think it's, you know, we know that finishing school uh, is an important milestone but I think something you said earlier is important as well. It doesn't have to be celebrated with alcohol. Something else can be organised. There are so many things there, you know, there are um, outings that they can go on, there are trips, there are massages, there are saunas, there are lovely things. And many young people do avail of those. And the parents, again, can be protective in terms of, um, you know, talking to the young people about this, maybe even encouraging them, maybe even getting them something that, that w- uh, will allow them to celebrate in this way. And not all young people want to be drinking. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing, I suppose, to bear in mind for parents, like the consequences of having um, uh, an alcohol, you know, for misbehaviour, drink driving or any of those things, it can affect their J1 if they want to go to America on a J1. A drink or drug driving conviction may stop them from being able to go. And if dry, caught, if they were caught driving under the influence of alcohol, it's a criminal offence. And driving while over the legal limit can void their their insurance policy or avoid the the insurance paying for an accident because they had drunk on them. something happened. Okay, Gemma says, uh, interesting discussion on, on your programme today, uh, Patricia, but please also mention the junior cert uh, students because that's coming to an end uh, as well. Many of these young people are only 15, 16 at the most. Gemma says, do not assume that your child won't drink because that is Absolutely. not the case. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. In, as I said, we believe alcohol should have no place in childhood. And if a parent does discover that their young person who's under 18 years of age is drinking, they need to have a good talk with them. And it doesn't mean if it happened once that it has to happen again. You know, it doesn't have to be the, the, the course of our lives that this is what we're going to continue to do. And to emphasise for parents, young people who start drinking at 15 or younger are four times more likely to have an alcohol-related problem later in life. So a lot of young people, in research that Maynooth University did for us, um, there about two years ago, it found um, that 
57% of third-year students who were drinking had their first drink in their own home or somebody else's home. And parents have to uh, remember that it is illegal uh, to give a drink to somebody else's child who's underage without the ex consent of, the of parents. their parents yeah. and actually interesting when you say in, in someone else's house uh, parents need to also check when somebody says you know when Nancy says oh I, I'm spending the night at Jemima's house you need to check in with Jemima's parents to make sure Patricia yeah. that is so important and even the whole thing about be it leaving search or junior search always keep in contact parents to keep in contact with their children's friends and their children's friends' parents. Yeah. Because you will, you know, you'll be able to negotiate things. You'll be able to find out, are they operating out of the same value system as you? And it makes it healthier and safer for young people when there is that circle of communication, where there's that circle of connection and belonging between their parents, their friends, etc. And having... Um, uh, their children's friends in a house allows them as well to get to know them but it should not there shouldn't be drinking and certainly before um, leaving certain students uh, go out to celebrate there should be no pre-drinking pre-drinking alright listen we leave it there uh, Martha great words of advice and of course you've got excellent additional advice online at drinkaware.ie forward slash and, and finally just that we have a booklet for parents and talking matters that's freely available and if any of them want a webinar or a talk in their area Martha at Drinkaware Keep up the good work. Thanks for that, Martha. Thank you. And thanks thanks for joining us. That is uh, Martha Sweeney, who is the education manager with Drink Aware. She says she's not a killjoy. It's not that they're against alcohol. They just want people uh, to drink uh, safely. And as I say, that story that Ralph Regal is reporting on in the Examiner today from the Cork uh, coroner, uh, Philip Cummins, is just so heartbreaking for the family involved. And actually, I noted that that uh, young man who sadly passed away, he was uh, rushed to Cork University Hospital, but he sadly passed away. And um, the coroner, uh, Philip Cummins, actually commended um, the young man's family for their decision to donate his organs and to help save the lives of uh, five other uh, people. Uh, such a tragic, tragic uh, story. And actually, Philip Common was saying that binge drinking in Ireland now has reached such a state that Irish doctors are dealing with cases of what they're calling holiday heart. Now, this was a new one on me. I had to actually look this up this morning before, before I came on air. And what GPs are saying holiday heart is, it's where uh, people drink so heavily during a fa- foreign sun holiday that when they come back, they can develop cardiac uh, problems and it's triggered by the acute levels of alcohol uh, cons- consumption. And I suppose that holiday heart is not just aimed at young people while there is all the evidence there that young people are binge drinking, but that's also aimed at adults and how many people go away on a foreign holiday and drink and drink and drink and would drink way more than they would drink at home. But it is leading to all types of uh, health issues, including cardiac uh, problems. And according to Philip Common, when he was doing some research in advance of delivering his his verdict at this young man's uh, death. He said he looked up uh, some of the data and we here in Ireland are apparently the second highest level of binge drinkers in the world were second only to Australia and Australia have always had a reputation for the amount of drinking and binge drinking that they uh, do. It's kind of you're on that kind of a survey that you really just don't want to be on uh, high up the list. 
Protect. Brought to you by C103, the IBI, and funded by the Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out ours2protect.ie for more info. This week on Ours to Protect, we're going to be getting our hands dirty, talking to Virginia O'Gara of the Corkerman Soil Project, and my goodness, about the power of composting and how you can manage your waste for better tasting food and a healthier planet. I guess we had the idea back in 2017 when my goodness were asked to be a part of Food on Board. The idea of Food on Board was that we would create an area where food companies that were small and made handmade food and who had a certain level of ethics came together to create a space that was free of plastic and free of waste. And we figured, well, sure, if we can do this in a small area in the middle of a muddy field with a bunch of strangers, why can't we just bring this back to Cork and do it there? With the help of their trusty biodigester, Cusp uses food waste generated by my goodness as a starting point for their composting. Here's Virginia with more. We have a biodigester and it's a resource that we feel very lucky to have. And it's not often that people would have this opportunity yet until we convinced Cork City Council that this is the right thing to do. Decentralizing a waste stream and making all of us a bit more responsible and a bit more aware of what it is that we're producing that is waste by making us have to deal with it ourselves could actually create a vibrant, thriving Cork City Centre. And really all that it is, is it's, it's just like a ruminant species. There's two different chambers in it. And you put in your food scraps and carbon source in one chamber, and it stays there for two weeks, and then it, it shoves itself over to the second chamber, and it stays there for two weeks, and then it just spits itself out, and it's this beautiful compost that you can see outside in our raised beds. That pattern just needs to be used at home. You just need to combine the right amount of nitrogen or green kind of mushy things with the right amount of carbon or brown crunchy things, and it doesn't smell. You just have a bunch of microbes, thermophilic bacteria, break it down, you feel that warmth coming from it, and then it reaches a stage where the mesophilic bacteria take over, and it just kind of cools down. But at the end of it all, you know, once you get over the stinky bit, if you do it right, it won't be stinky, and then you have... Stuff you can grow beautiful, beautiful vegetables in or flowers or things that bees like, things that birds like, you know, that kind of stuff. It's estimated that 30 tonnes of scraps are produced in Cork City every day, most of which go to Sweden and the Netherlands for incineration. That's a long way to go to get rid of waste that we all have the power to manage ourselves. Compost is great for the planet in so many ways. From being a fertiliser to working as a carbon sink, it's an important way that we can work to keep our planet healthy. Back to Virginia now to talk about some of the ways Cusp and my goodness manage their waste to grow tasty snacks. We have about 20 1.2 meter raised beds that are made out of pallets and election posters. So when we brought the Cork Urban Soil Project back to Cork City, we were like, what, what are we doing? Well, obviously we want to do better for our community as my goodness, you know, we're a pretty ethical business, but we still were creating a small amount of food waste. And that food waste was going into a brown compost bin. It was being shipped away to the Midlands to be used for God knows what. So we knew that we could do better. We wanted to be able to reclaim that would be waste and see it as a resource instead. The Cork Urban Soil Project is now happy in the Marina Commercial Park. We have made about 8.5 tons of compost from a bunch of food scraps and a bunch of beer mats and other carbon sources. And we have diverted 19 tons of would-be waste from the landfill. We are surrounded by opportunities to take environmental action. 
but often it can feel challenging to start. I'm wondering what are the first steps someone should take if they want to start composting? People often don't think to compost. They think of it as the smelly bin in the corner of their house that they don't want to deal with. What advice would you give to someone who's composting for the first time or looking to kind of jump into this world a little bit? Well, I mean, compost happens. That's just, that's nature doing its thing. It has to happen. Otherwise, can you imagine the amount of stuff that would be just all over this planet? Compost is a valuable resource. It is what is giving us the delicious food that we all really enjoy eating. My my advice for people at home is to check out the methods according to the space that you have. There is a really great, simple method of composting called Bokashi. And Bokashi is a Japanese method that uses basically a bucket with some microbes in it and your food scraps. Basically, it's an anaerobic compost that creates really nice, not so smelly if you're if it's done right, fertility buckets that you can plant around the city or plant in your local community garden. I'd say if you even just have a small bucket, you can grow food. And watching that, the amount of pride that comes from being able to grow even the tiniest flower is immense. I I highly recommend it. Just try it. Don't be afraid to fail. Put some seeds in some freaking soil, water it, keep it warm. If you have any light, give that to it and see what happens. So to recap, composting is one of the building blocks to building back our planet. When we have healthy soil, we grow healthier food and can live healthier lives. It's easier to do than you think. Whatever type of space you have, you can always start small. If you'd like to get involved with the Cork Urban Soil Project, follow them on Instagram at Urban Soil Project or taste some of the delicious food made by my goodness by visiting them in the English market. Virginia is hoping to start a composting club in the near future, so if you're interested, why not reach out? Find out more about what you can do to compost and reduce your food waste in the show notes of this episode. to protect brought to you by c103 the ibi and funded by the commission naman with the television license fee check out ours to protect.ie for more info well done really another very informative piece thanks to alana daly mulligan uh, for uh, producing and presenting ours to protect on composting this week now i've had a response in from cork airport this is re- in regard to claire who joined us on the program this week who bless her heart traveling back from luton to cork airport got off the plane and the heavens opened and then she had to run the gauntlet to the terminal with her carry-on uh, luggage. Um, the covered walkway had the outgoing passengers so they were literally out in the open expanse that is at the uh, the the runway of Cork Airport running for the terminal build, building there is no cover at all she was soaked through to the skin her, soaked through down to her undies were wet and then to get into the car and an hour's journey home while everyone sitting in wet clothes and she said even the clothes in her suitcase got wet because she had a soft suitcase and it got uh, soaked. So we got into Cork Airport because she was asking why are Ryanair not using uh, the um the runways, the air bridges that are available at Cork Airport. Anyway, Cork Airport come back and say, uh, with over 200 flights per week operated by eight scheduled airlines, Cork Airport has a range of aircraft parking facilities for all of our airline customers. Amongst the facilities at Cork Airport are the two air bridges, and that's that's what Claire was talking about, which are covered walkways that connect directly from the aircraft door to the terminal building. The air bridge facilities are available for use by any airline customer. Some airlines choose not to use them for various operational reasons. The decision on whether to avail of air bridges is very much a matter for the airline 
and are their ground handler and not Cork Airport. They don't mention that, that there is a charge involved, but as far as I know, there is a charge involved. Uh, so I suppose it's Ryanair we now need to get on to to find out why they are not using the Airbridge facilities when there are two Airbridge facilities available at Cork Airport. So I'll get to John Paul to send on the very same email we sent to Cork Airport who are now saying nothing to do with us uh, folks, nothing to see here. It's up to the airline. Let's see if we can find out from Ryanair why they won't use Cork Airport's Airbridge. We have our final pair of tickets uh, to give away to the National Menopause Summit in Cork who will be advocating for change and it's happening on Friday the 20th of October and we have a pair of tickets to what is a landmark event and it will be held in the beautiful surroundings of Cork City Hall and we have a pair of balcony tickets if you would like to go along to the National Menopause Summit It'll be a packed agenda of knowledge, advice, support and content which will be delivered by uh, experts. And as we've been doing uh, all this week, we've been giving away these tickets. Please, if you only really want to go along to this event yourself or you know of somebody who would benefit by going along to this event, please only enter. Uh, We need you to text the word PINK along with your name and address to 0862103103. That is PINK to 0862103103 and we'll leave it open for about five 10 minutes and then John Paul will select a winner who will get a pair of balcony tickets for the National Menopause Summit and if you want to find out more about the summit um, or if you would like to book tickets then you can go to nationalmenopausesummit.com 0818103103 John Paul is taking your calls and I just see on a breaking news story the RTE board have confirmed that Dee Forbes, the Director General, was suspended from her employment on Wednesday of this week. So not today, it was on Wednesday, the 21st of uh, June, because somebody had asked earlier, we knew she was stepping down from the position and somebody was asking, is she still in in the role? And I had checked that when RTE were asked yesterday, was Dee Forbes still the, we know she's the outgoing Director General but is she still in the position and this was the quote from RTE yesterday D Forbes is currently taking annual leave but remains in the role of Director General until the end of her term on Monday the 10th of July and she remains contactable so she was obviously doing out her the, the rest of her time by taking up annual leave but now it's been confirmed that she was actually suspended uh, because of uh, everything that's going on over uh, Ryan Tuberty and I mentioned earlier that RTE chiefs are facing calls to come before and at least two Oireachtas committees to address this uh, controversy surrounding Ryan Tuberty's remuneration. And I'm wondering, will one of those Oireachtas committees be the Oireachtas Committee on Transport and Communications? One of the members of that committee is Cork East uh, Dáil Deputy James O'Connor, who joins me. Good morning to you, James. Good morning, Patricia. Um, are you calling for, the, uh, for RTE chiefs to come before the Transport and Communications Committee? Um, well, we've we've reformed the committees ever so slightly in the last two years. So where this is going to end up being discussed heavily is going to be in two Oireachtas committees. One of the two I sit on is the Public Accounts Committee because of the, the amount of, of, of public money involved and because RTE, like many state agencies, have to go through the process of being audited by the, the CNAG, the Competitor and Auditor General, uh, and, and they're ultimately accountable to the PAC, the PAC, which would be the most powerful Oireachtas committee. Um, I sit in that committee along with uh, with uh, Colin Burke also from, from County Cork. Um, and I think, look, from the outset, I want to say that I, like many others, uh, read today's papers uh, and I'm in a state of shock. Uh, you know, I, I don't know Ryan Tuberty well. I've met him on a number of occasions, same as many people who work in 
media and in politics. And uh, I have to say what has happened is absolutely wrong. Um, you know, but what we do need to do is be very careful in our language at this point. Uh, and that's why it's important to get this into the committee in a, in a, in a, in a room where there is privilege, where questions can be put uh, in, in, a, in a way that does not have, you know, legal ramifications for those asking the questions. Uh, and also somebody's good name in, in terms of Ryan Tuberty, but also RTE's uh, reputation um, could potentially left be, left be left in tatters uh, and after what has emerged. Yeah, and I think that's um, you know, what a lot I, I, of a lot of listeners today are uh, worried about. But I did hear the the chair of the RT board last night. She was speaking on the six one news. She's categorical that the RTE authority that no one on the board was aware of the payments. But that struck me. I and mean, when we saw that in uh, in the banking uh, crisis, board level ignorance, uh, James, uh, is never an excuse, is it? It's not. And you know, I. I I don't want to be flippant, and I, I sometimes I, I I might say say something that I might end up regretting. But I do mean this, Patricia, that you know there is a, a, a bit of a merry-go-quango going on in this country with state boards, and we see it from you know whether chief executives of local authorities or heads of state agencies moving around like pieces of chess in a board uh, between these boards, and they're paid significant money. Some are not; others are remunerated. Now, I would actually break this down a little bit more because t- coming away from the board of RTE. Go down into the accounts section. How was this not highlighted? And why was it omitted from the, the, the information that was being provided to us, the committee, and in terms of the Public Accounts Committee, to the Oireachtas, to the department of, of that would be responsible for, for you know, allocating funding to our, our national broadcaster, and also recognising the amount of money that they raised through the licence fee? You know, it is utter, uh, utterly inappropriate what is after occurring. And, you know, I want to be critical. I'm sure many people have seen the Irish Examiner's front page today. You know, Terry Prone is on the front page saying 75,000. Why not paltry isn't enormous. Now, I would tend to disagree with her. I think 75,000 is a grotesque amount of money not to be telling the public about over a six-year period. Now, you know, if, if we're being, you know, if we're, if we're looking at this from the from from the perspective of, of, of being rational at this point, obviously they need to explain immediately what the 75,000 euros was used for. Can they produce receipts for that €75,000? And, and that's going to be incredibly important throughout this, this. And also, the second part of it is we have to ask is that is there any criminality involved by what is, appears to be, and what, what from reading today's paper, a very, very well-contorted cover-up? And I want to acknowledge the work that's been done by the journalists who are after bringing this to the public domain. Um, only for that happening, we may have never have known about this. And, wh- and the last, the other thing that the other thing that really is, I think, coming out very clear today is the lack of trust among staff within RTE, and that now has got to be huge. I mean, many of the people who work in RTE don't have these ridiculous telephone number. Uh, Salaries, they, you know, there's many of them are working on the average in industrial wage, and they bore the brunt of a series of cost-cutting programs by management. I mean, there's got to be a huge level of anger within RTE today. There certainly has, and, and maybe that was part of why this came to light. And, and you know, RTE is a as an entity, you know, it does need urgent reform. Things have changed. You know, the days of everybody sitting around the television in the evening, whether they're having their cup of tea or their bit of their bite of dinner after a day's work. Or the supper, you know, those days are gone. People are watching watching their news, getting their news from their telephones, from from iPads, from laptops, you know, from smartphones. You know, the way we consume media has changed, and I'm very sad. 
sit, and I know a lot of people in Northern Ireland and my own constituency in our own county, Cork, adore uh, the Late Late Show, and they, you know, they've enjoyed the ups and downs of the show. I know other people, it's a bit like Marmite, they love or they hate it. I don't know, is the Late Late Show tenable after this anymore? Do I want to see somebody being flown in at the taxpayer's cost from the UK to come and present a show on a weekend and Friday, on a Friday night and flying back, back to London again? You know, I know it was done in the past, but I just have to say, I, I, I think that what's after emerging here is catastrophic for RT in every way. And I, okay. I, okay. I, I and obviously uh, do want to give them, you know, well, an, yeah, yeah, and, and doubt, until they, until they, they, they get a chance to, to explain. And also, you know, I'm reading in the papers that uh, Grant Thornton has been brought in to investigate uh, the situation. Should that task not be taken over by the um, controller and auditor general, which, who then obviously would report to the uh, to the, the public accounts committee that you're talking about, and obviously then it would go on to the public, but it would make it as transparent as possible. Well, a full independent auditing of the books is now required, and that's going to be a very arduous process. That should be done independently of the work of the CNAG as well, so the two of them should happen and take place. And essentially what it is, it's about identifying where the money went, what was that money spent on, and why did I have it in the first instance? And the other question is on my mind this morning. I haven't seen it on the papers yet, and I must have a very, very, uh, uh, you know, uh, a thorough look through this, is to see, did the Late Late Show, did they have, you know, additional budgets? You know, it's it's reasonable to expect if there was international film stars or, 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 or singers or people from around the world coming into to RTE to, to do the Late Late Show interviews, that they were somewhere looked after, whether it's the hotels or brought out for dinner. Or, 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 you know, you know that that type of yeah, that, the costs that would be associated with it. Yeah, yeah. The discretionary budget, but we need to find out is that money separated out from the seventy-five, or is the seventy-five just some shady fund that could be dipped in and out of, depending on who wanted to spend something on and anything. And like, it's that's that's the trouble. There's an awful lot in the air, and from a okay. legal perspective and from a reputation perspective, we have to be so careful in our language, and that's why bringing it to the committee. When I say privilege, for those who don't don't. Uh, or would not be aware of privilege. So privilege in a, in a rockless committee basically enables myself as a TD and my colleagues on the committee to ask questions without fear or favour in terms of that we cannot be we cannot be uh, challenged from a legal perspective um, in terms of the comments that we make. So it gives a much freer yeah, um, uh, ability discussion. to put those questions. Yeah. Okay, there's, it, this story certainly has a long way to go. Listen, before I let you go, I've been handed a photograph of you that was taken in, in the last few hours of you with um, two lovely Chinese um, men who I'm told, one is the Chinese Minister for International Development. Um, what, what, what He's at the, he's in uh, the Dáil today. What's that visit about? Yes, so today we, we, we hosted the, the Minister for International Relations. So as the Cahir, like Shannon Aaron, Jerry Buttermer and myself met them. Uh, they're on a European tour at the minute, so it was uh, probably the, the most um, interesting um, foreign affairs um, meeting I've been involved with since I've been elected. But it's good news in that, you know, they're here. They want to, to try and boast, uh, bolster their connections with Ireland. There are very strong connections between Cork and China, particularly for agriculture. The dairy sector is of very high importance to the Chinese in Ireland. Huge amount of milk that's, that's processed, whether it's in Mallow or Mitchestown, um, and the cheese is made in Mogila, that there, there is huge interest in those products and also pharmaceuticals. So it, it was a good news visit. But also what's interesting is that, you know, the Chinese have, are much faster at building infrastructure and getting things done. So it was an interesting exchange. We also discussed the tougher things, uh, you know, human rights between China and the European Union and Ireland are very different. Uh, there was very strong, uh, very strong, um, you know, uh, opinions expressed on both sides uh, regarding our views and having respect for 
human dignity, having respect for human rights as well, and that was important. Well done. Um, so it was well done. A, a very interesting meeting. Okay, and just ver- a very fi- finally, one of your party colleagues, um, one Franco Flynn, takes over as county mayor today. I just want to take the opportunity to, to, to thank Frank um, for all he's done for the people of North Cork, for the Fomoy Mitchestown electoral area. Uh, he's been a decent, decent friend of mine, and I want to say this much. I actually met Frank when I was 20 years of age, uh, and he sat me down and he told me I should run for politics. And, you know, he's been a very good mentor to me and a friend. And uh, today is a very proud day for the O'Flynn family, um, for his wife and his son, uh, Francis John, his, and his wife, uh, Mary, and, and, and to Frank. You know, they've, they've given a huge service to the people of, of the Fermoy area and across County Cork and to Cork County Council. He's been elected there since the 1990s. So today has been a long, long wait for Frank. You know, he should have got it long before now. And, but I'm just delighted that... He's getting that chance to be mayor of the county and, and just to, to, to congratulate him yeah, and, and to wish busy, him well for his year. He'll have a busy year ahead. Listen, James, I appreciate you taking time out. I know how busy you are today, so I appreciate it. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Patricia. Bye-bye. That is Cork East uh, Dáil Deputy uh, James uh, O'Connor on the Ryan Tuberty saga. Just some more of your still getting in calls and texts on this one. Let me go to uh, some that came in earlier. Uh, William Kilbehany says uh, Ryan Tuberty is a good man and I feel he's done nothing wrong uh, yet. Um, I feel he's done nothing wrong. We have Fien- the Fianna Fáil party welcoming back Bertie Ahern after what he did to the country and what Willie's talking about is a story about Bertie Hearn. He was at a Fianna Fáil barbecue in Kildare during the week. It was a fundraiser for uh, Fianna Fáil. And then Elizabeth says, Patricia, on Irish Water and Combreg that you mentioned earlier getting bonuses and then what we're hearing about Ryan Tuberty. Tuberty, don't blame the government or individual ministers for this. Ryan Tuberty is probably heading into politics himself on the next election. So it could be all to do with closing ranks. That's kind regards, Elizabeth. And of course, when you think of Ryan Tuberty, he does does come with political lineage. Lineage. If you look at his mother's side of the family, his mother' maiden name was Andrews, i.e., in the name. Her father, so that would be Ryan's grandfather, was uh, Todd Andrews. He was a prominent associate of uh, Eamon de Valera. His uncle was Niall Andrews. He was a TD and an MEP. Uh, he has another uncle, David Andrews. He was a government minister, and two of his cousins, Barry Andrews and Chris Andrews have all sat in Dáil Aaron as Fianna Fáil TD. So I don't know if I've ever heard Ryan Tuberty say that that's something he wants to do, go, go into public, go into politics, but it certainly is, it is there in his family line uh, for sure. Hi, uh, Patricia. I say best of luck to Ryan uh, Tuberty. RT are at fault here. Please leave him uh, alone. And hi, Patricia. No wonder Ryan Tuberty was in good form every Friday night when he came out at the Late Late Show. Nobody knew the amount of money that he was um, earning. And the final one in this bunch. Hi, Patricia. I think your own John Paul has a good argument there for being given a half a million euro a year if he's doing the job that the whole of the RT production team appear to be doing. Well, if I could get him a half a million euro a year, I dearly would. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Bingo in Mallow GAA Complex tonight. 8.15 jackpot, 4,900 euro, 46 calls. There's a 50-50 draw on the night and all funds raised will go to the direct running of the Mallow GAA Club. 
Kildallery Bingo is on tonight, 8 o'clock in the store at the Creamery Yard. Doors open at 7, eyes down at 8. Their jackpot is €1,900. And best of luck to the 68th annual gathering of the O'Mahony Society, which is taking place this year at Cool Car House in McCroom across this uh, weekend. If you'd like further details of the gathering and if you've got any O'Mahony blood running in your veins, they'd love to see to see you. You can check out uh, their website, which is omahonysociety.com. And the Midsummer Eve dance at Musher Platform is on tonight, 8.45 to 10.45. Music by the Singing Jarvie, all are welcome and no cover charge. And St. Gubnett's Nursing Home, Ballyagram, they're holding a bake and craft sale. It's in aid of the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland in Ballyagram Community Hall tomorrow from 12 noon to 4 in the afternoon. Your support would be gratefully appreciated. And if you can contribute in any way, please contact Maura at 086 844 Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. When I was reading out events that were happening for tonight, there was a text in earlier asking me to give a shout out. The dancing is on in Theo Park tonight with Pat Costello, 9 p.m. PM until 11.30. Um, uh, everyone is uh, welcome. And I've also, and I've got a couple of WhatsApps in on this as well. So thank you for that. I mentioned that big goes on in Kildallery tonight. Uh, it isn't because sadly there is a local bereavement. So the bingo for tonight in Kildallery has been uh, cancelled. Some more of your Ryan Tuberty comments still coming in. Uh, hi Patricia. Ryan Tuberty is a rich, privileged man, says this texter, who when presenting the Late Late Show was very direct to the point of patronising when questioning guests on certain topics. He now needs to have those questions asked of him. He has nothing in common with the normal everyday folk who he preached to every week. The TV licence needs to be scrapped as it's no longer fit for a purpose. Others will disagree and will say that they really liked him. And I mean, it depends. Um, it was the same with Gay Byrne. And I always remember Gay Byrne used to say for every one person that liked him, he reckoned there was three people who couldn't stand him. So it would be the same, I take it, for Ryan uh, Tuberty um, uh, as well. And actually, somebody was pointing out to me that there was an article uh, where Ryan Tuberty was it was interviewed and it was Ryan Tuberty haunted by children in poverty. It was an article that appeared in the Irish Daily, Daily Mirror. And this listener says the headline that didn't age well. And I did a quick Google search of it. And actually, when you're reading down through it, it's kind of for Ryan today. It's a little bit cringy. It was an interview that he gave uh, at the, I say, around Christmas time, November of uh, 2019 and he was helping to launch the St Vincent de Paul Society their Christmas appeal which is a a really great and honourable thing to do and I'm assuming that he did it without getting any kind of a pay and he was speaking at that how he his wages had dropped by more than 40% since taking up the Late Late Show gig and he said at the time that he was haunted by the idea of children in poverty when he revealed that he was going to accept another pay cut from RTE and then he started talking about the pay cuts and he said at the time that when he started the Late Late Show which I think is 12 years ago wasn't it he was on 723,000 euro and at that stage then in 2019 he says he was going to take another pay cut another 15% pay cut and his wage would be down to 420,000 per year but then when you check the figures for 2019 
Uh, actually he's published was 495 so it was actually higher and uh, maybe he was going to take the pay cut oh yeah okay that was it his present level was 495,000 and then he was going to take a cut which would bring him down to 420,000 but that actually didn't happen his actual wage packet in 2019 was 545,000 and the following year after the said pay cut uh, he was on 522,000 uh, so yeah it is but yeah but he spoke about um, thinking of hungry children and because of that he didn't have any problem taking a pay uh, cut but he was asked he was talking then about RTE and the future of RTE and the importance of the state uh, broadcaster and he said that I believe in RTE and I think if it was to disappear tomorrow I think it would be a sad day he said imagine no RTE after Gay Byrne died you'd be dependent on a tweet to say well done and sorry to see that he is uh, gone Uh, and he was delighted to be working with the site as Vincent de Paul even though he was on incredible sums of money even the ones that he was uh, talking about yes so it's worth it if you want to Google that article if you just put in Ryan Tuberty haunted by children in poverty it's an article from the uh, uh, from the Irish uh, Mirror 0818 103 103 we were talking about Irish water earlier and how Irish water is stymieing some development particularly in North Cork because wastewater treatment plants are at capacity and even though builders are getting planning when they go to try and build they can't because they can't connect to the water supply that has prompted uh, Jerry to contact us to say Hi Patricia, I have heard in recent days that there are hundreds of houses and I mean hundreds of houses going to be built in Middleton which while it sounds like great news particularly in the middle of a housing crisis I do have my concerns says Jerry. I'm starting to wonder how will the schools cope because as we know there's already been waiting lists in Middleton schools for many many years now and people locally are just not able to get their children into the local schools. I'm also wondering about the pressure on the present water and sewage systems and while additions to the Middleton water systems may happen, when will they happen and will Middleton people have to put up with poor water pressure for years like has happened in other towns when building went ahead? I just hope that this isn't a knee-jerk reaction to the housing crisis and hope that it will all have been properly planned for. And Jerry adds that Irish water now Ishka uh, Aaron um, have the right had a planning objection about the water rock and not Griffin development in Middleton and I'm just wondering why they withdrew their objection. We just don't hear the reasons for all of the objections are the reasons for withdrawing such an objection. Trisha, this is no small development, it's going to be huge and not only at the locations I've just mentioned but those two, at least 200 houses elsewhere in the town and Jerry's really worried about the area because there's another huge development at Bloomfield in Middleton and he's just worried about uh, where the water, both water and waste water. The only thing I can say, Jerry, is that while planning permission can be granted, as we heard from Kate Dawson, Councillor Kate Dawson today in North Cork, developers are getting planning permission, but then when they go to build, they discover they can't because the wastewater treatment plant can't take it or they can't connect to water. So I don't know what's going on in Middleton and whether the treatment plant will be sufficient or not, but just because you see the planning has been given, it doesn't necessarily be- mean that the building 
will go ahead. 0818-103-103. And our winner for the menopause is Christopher Flynn in Castleview in Carrigaline. Congratulations to you, Chris. You've won a pair of balcony tickets for the National Menopause Summit who are hoping to advocate for change. They're coming to Cork. They're going to be in the wonderful surroundings of Cork City Hall. You will be up in the balcony watching this event and it's a packed agenda of knowledge, advice, support and content and they are hoping to shift the narrative by debunking so many of the myths and taboos. I'm hoping that lots and lots of ladies who are battling with menopause will go along to this National Menopause Summit and coming closer to the time, I promise you, we will track down some of the experts and and try to get as many interviews as we can on air about it because menopause is something we need to be discussing at more. That's nationalmenopausesummit.com. You could go onto their website if you want to find out more about it or if you want to get get yourself some uh, tickets. A total of 14 schools from across the county along with some of their teachers took part in a major cleanup of four of our best known beaches and in the hope of getting them ready for the busy summer season ahead. To chat about how the cleanups went and to discuss some of the items found. I'm joined by Prancis Otuma, who is with Clean Coasts uh, Ballinamona. Uh, good morning, Prancis. Good morning, Patricia. How and, are you? I'm very well, and I believe you're actually at a beach clean this morning. We're, absolutely. We're out. Um, there's just over 60 uh, employees of Stryker and Carrick Tool who are out doing three hours. So it's 180 hours. It's the same as one person doing four and a half weeks just on this beach alone, which is amazing. So we, we thank them for that. Have you many businesses doing that? We have a few. Yeah, we yeah. were out with um, the Middleton Distillery there on Wednesday as well. So, yeah, anybody who wants to come out with us, absolutely, we'll arrange it. And it just turns into a company CSR day. We find a beach, we'll take you out and we'll, we'll look after you. And um, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a great thing to do. And, you know, as the weather, the weather kind of promised lots of things at the start of the week. It's actually a really lovely morning out here. A little bit wet for, you know, for 10 minutes or something. But it's, it's fabulous. It's great. And we love we love meeting businesses and coming out and helping them to get involved and protect what we have on our coast. Oh, well done. Well done. Yeah, we have showers. But once the showers pass off, it's, it's still very warm and humid as well. So, uh, Absolutely. And, once, and, and, and we have been lucky. There's actually been very little well done. Well done. OK, now this um, with the 14 schools, I'm told 600 pupils uh, took part. That's a major operation. How, how, what beaches uh, did you decide to select? Well, I, I suppose ultimately it's part of Cork County Council's Blue Flag Education Programme for the 28, 26, 28 beaches that we have across Cork County that have blue flags and green flags. One of the elements that must be done is uh, education, blue flag education. And um, uh, we were approached uh, three years ago first um, by the by uh, the water lab of Corcoco. Would we be interested in doing some piece of it? And uh, we said, yes, we would. And we set out a plan and they've it's 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 just gotten bigger and better every year in the in the three years. I mean, we started, I mean, in COVID times doing it with um, three schools, I think. Uh, last year it grew and this year um, it's it's just something uh, uh, I suppose it's it's turned into something a, a little bit better and it's it's absolutely amazing. It's 14 schools from East and West Cork down as far as Goleen and up as far as uh, Bunskull where we're in y'all. So it's, it's, it's been brilliant. And is it primary and secondary take part? Um, the, it's, it, we, we, we focused on the primary schools okay. uh, in particular. And those, let's say, in in from let's say third, fourth, fifth, sixth class up, predominantly the sixth class pupils, 
And to be fair, um, the pupils from my um, my own school, uh, from the Environmental Society in St. Colman's in Middleton, um, they were superb in actually helping the East Cork events. Yeah, because a lot of organisation yeah. goes into oh, yeah, getting this, this amount absolutely. of children. And were all of the children very enthusiastic with their work, Pranchius? You know what? There's there's one picture. Um, you know, I suppose when we when we look at the retro rubbish, let's say that what we've been finding on on the Cork coastline over the last seven, eight, nine years, um, there's one picture from the event in Barleycove that read there's a child who is agog, her mouth is totally open, looking at this um, this mineral can from the 1980s, and and can't believe that litter you know, will last that long in the environment. So, I mean, everybody took away different, you know, I suppose the learning outcomes were 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 focused on the blue flag education element. In particular, I suppose there was a focus on water quality. So one of the things with water quality is, you know, if we pick two and we spoke a few weeks about it, were cigarette butts when, when the, yeah. that campaign started and that one cigarette butt will contaminate 200 litres of water. But one of the other things that we were looking at was um, uh, dog fouling. And that what you know the you know the poo from one dog has the ability to contaminate 129,000 just over liters of water. So when you try and start you know doing the metrics on that and 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 rephrasing that number as let's say a, a visual, it's the same size as a body of water, the size of a tennis court that's half a meter deep. And then you start looking at if we get 30 or 40 dogs you know traversing a beach over the course of a day and their poo isn't picked up. Then you're looking at 30 or 40 multiplied by 130,000. And then you're looking at, you know, ultimately, what are the consequences? You know, well, the consequences are, you know, for those who like to swim in the sea. Um, there's a public health thing there. There's the environment itself. And of course, you know, not to forget that there's many businesses who rely on people uh, to, you know, to visit the coast, yeah. who stop for a cup of coffee or go for a dinner or a lunch or go for a walk, because if our beaches are dirty, if someone gets violently ill, they're never going having, to come back. You know, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. yeah and that's why so hanging on to our blue flags are, are so important. But it also bodes very well, doesn't it, for the future, because these young people bring home that message and you can be guaranteed they will make sure that they, as they go into adulthood, they'll always pick up their litter after them. Absolutely. I mean, you know, no one sets out to, you know, dis- destroy something on purpose, right? We're, we're going to look at the positive side of it. It's to bring that message home, you know, and in particular, let's say we're on Arden Hinch uh, this morning with, with the employees from Striker, And, you know, one of the things that we included is that blue flag beach, you know, education around dogs because they all have dogs and, and getting that message across. And to be fair, they're quite aware of it anyway. But for those kids, let's say, who have dogs at home, because I have a dog at home. Um, and when we go to the beach, it's to, it's to make sure we're not only minding our dogs, minding ourselves, but minding the beach for other users, be they be they human, be they aquatic, be they marine, be they bird, be they whatever. Um, so I suppose the big take home message is that, you know, one of the things as well, let's say in an SPA such as Arden Hinch here, is that, you know, when we, we, we keep our dogs under control, because not everybody likes dogs yeah. and a dog jumping up and someone mightn't be welcomed by everybody. But not only that, let's say in wintertime in particular, you know, it's an SPA for 12 species of winter wading birds. Um, we also get Brent geese from High Arctic Canada. They've flown 
quite a journey, you know, over three, 3,000 kilometres. So having flown that, and if you look at the stop-off points for taking a rest and taking a breather, they're really in recovery down here. They're resting, they're feeding. So, you know, dogs chasing birds on, on the beach isn't, um, isn't what we like to see. And, and most people don't do it. Um, so it's just keeping your, you know, dogs under control. Be Apart responsible. From, you know, that good thing. Okay, and, and listen, I want to hear about some of the items uh, that you found. You found some interesting bottles. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think everything that we do, let's say, with the retro rubbish that we've we've we, we've we've uh, amalgamated quite a, a museum of pieces now at this stage. And I, I, I think I've learned that never be surprised by what we find. Um, so we did uh, on the 2nd of June, we were out in Carrie Grennan, which is in the inner harbour by by Little Island. Uh, we found a, a whiskey bottle from the 1970s. And on the cap, I shared it with John Paul earlier, it has B daily. And one of the things that we found are what we like, we're still researching and we know the bottle is 1970s, but basically it's a Tullamore Jew whiskey bottle, uh, pre-Tullamore Jew, if you know what I mean. So it uh, used B. to be called B daily. I'd never heard of it before. I, I didn't either. It was yeah. new on me. <laughs> and then it but, became, uh, it became Tullamore Jew. It, uh, it, it was sold onto Irish distillers, I believe in 1953. And uh, I think it's a Tullamore Jew cap on a Jemison bottle, I think. OK, we're not sure. We're still we're still researching that one. But the, but the, the medicine other, bottle, that's the big find. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I, part of it, when we're going through with the kids and we're showing them all the old, you know, finds, you know, uh, crisp packets with 10p in the front, their eyes, they're kind of looking out for stuff. And to be fair, it was a child, a sixth class pupil from Middleton Educate together on Red Barn. Who said, I found this. Is is this old? <laughs> basically, it's this green glass medicinal bottle. And it's it's the 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 lettering on it is is actually part of the bottle. Um and the early research basically it's it's it was started as as veterinary type medicine kind of a rub um and developed for humans but the bottle dates back to between 1880 and 1900 and is, is it is it in perfect nick I've, i i i've i have a photograph of it is it is it intact it, the the body of it we're missing the top part of the bottle but the body of the bottle is in perfect that's incredible nick. that's it's, so, it's but it, what it proves is if you throw anything away it doesn't go away no, it doesn't go away. Absolutely. It's just turning up. And it was actually funny because someone on Twitter, um, you know, um, retweeted the Examiner article and said, beat that plastic. And I kind of said, uh. it's just a matter of time, just a matter of time, because generations to come are, are really going to be finding what our legacy is. And, and that is the the mounds of plastic which are breaking down into microplastics and, and they're breaking down into nanoplastics. Um, so, look, it's 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 only a matter of time. But look, that glass bottle and the glass bottle from the 70s, Glass is infinitely recyclable. Mm. You re if you put in a bottle, you get a hundred percent bottle back. Whereas with plastic bottles, only seven percent of it is recyclable. So you need, you know, fourteen plastic bottles to make one recyclable plastic bottle. And what we also know um, from the uh, European Environmental Agency is that um, recycling plastic bottles, uh, two plastic bottles, is the better outcome not to be turning it into something else. OK, and try to buy glass uh, where you can instead and make sure that you're always recycling. Buy glass, recycling. buy aluminium and recycle yeah. it. You're, you're not being duped and it's, it's, it's a valuable commodity. Aluminium is a finite resource. You know, it's, 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 it's a like, I think ultimately what the lesson to be learned in, and it's, it, it, it's only dawning, is that the actual can is more valuable than, than the contents. 
It's incredible, isn't it? Mm. Okay, and uh, p- for people heading to the beach this weekend, please, please, please bring home your, your rubbish. And what I started a number of years ago, I think it was following an interview with you, whenever we go to the beach, and I'm heading to West Cork this weekend, whenever we go out on our walk, I pick up bits of plastic and put it in my, po- in my pocket and then bring it home. We should all be doing that, shouldn't we? It's only Absolutely. a simple thing. It's only a simple Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Just okay. one of the things there, I just want to thank as well Cork County Council for actually, you know, allowing us to do this and also Cully and Sully who provided soup to all those 600 kids free well of charge. Um, uh, Garda Eddie Crockett in Middleton, the teachers of St. Coleman's, the staff of St. Coleman's and the pupils. Um, I hope I haven't forgotten anyone. And a big they, they thank- just made those events what they are. And a big thank you to you, Pranchisa Thuma of Clean Coast Ball because you're some man for one man. Keep it up. Thanks a million thank and thanks for joining us. We'll let him go back to his uh, beach clean. He really is uh, terrific and he's just so enthusiastic about it. Please keep our beautiful beaches clean and pick up after yourself if you're heading there this weekend. OK, that's where I have to wrap it up for today and indeed for this week. My thanks to John Paul McNamara who has produced the programme all week. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and I will be back with you on Monday morning at uh, 10 o'clock. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Enjoy the rest of your Friday and whatever you're doing this weekend. Have a lovely one and enjoy yourself. Court Today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.